The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 16 together. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 down to verse 16. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I have purposed to come unto you. But I was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among the Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, it is a blessing to be back together this morning in church service. I hope that you have had a great week. I did, and I hope that you did as well. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be starting our series in the book of Romans this morning. And by God's grace, we will probably be in the book of Romans for quite a while. I look back at our short history as a church, and I remember that Romans was the very first series that we preached through. I did the unthinkable at that point, that was back in 2015, I preached all 16 chapters of the book of Romans in 14 weeks, and I do not know how I got through it that quickly. Uh, We spent two and a half years in the book of Luke, and we spent a good six months in Colossians and another couple of months in Galatians. I don't know how we went through Romans so fast, and so I plan to spend quite a while, we very easily could spend the rest of this year in the book of Romans. We will take breaks as we go. We'll go and then we'll take breaks for certain seasons. Uh, however, we'll be in the book of Romans for quite a while. That's our, my current plan. I do admit this is a daunting task. If you can imagine if your purpose is to climb a mountain, there's an excitement as you're walking towards the mountain, but when you get to the base of the mountain and you look up that mountain, you realize how very difficult it's going to be to get up that mountain. Uh, the book of Romans is probably the most theologically rich book in all of the Bible. It's been called another gospel, an extra gospel. It's been called by many theologians the greatest book in all of the Bible. 
It's hard to boil down to the greatest, and yet the book of Romans is full of theology. My fear as a preacher and as your pastor is that I will treasure the depth of theology and get to the point where all I deliver is theological truth. I want to be very careful as we do this. Knowledge only puffs us up. Knowledge does not change us. Our actions will change according to what we believe. And so my prayer as we spend time in the book of Romans together is that not you will learn the great theological truths, but then you will believe them, and then that will flow out in your life. And see, what you believe will change how you act. It's been said that the gospel transforms lives. And this book of Romans is all about the gospel. So if you can grasp it, understand it, dive down in it, and then let it flow through you, your life will be transformed. Romans chapter 1 will be in today. But before we get to it, I do want to take a historical journey so that we can see where did this book come from. So if you want to grab Acts chapter 19 with one finger, maybe put a piece of paper into Romans 1, and then Romans chapter 15 will be the other side. So if you have three hands, you can just hold on to all of those. Uh, But we're looking at Acts 19, Romans 15, and of course we're going to be Romans 1. I will touch Romans 1 as we're going through the historical background, uh, but we'll come back to Romans 1 and walk through today. We'll walk through the first seven verses. A lot of this historical background, and in fact, the majority of this historical background comes from a, a study that I love to do, and that is taking the bits and pieces of the book of Acts and putting together or inserting the things that Paul writes in his epistles. There are things, little tidbits that Paul drops in his epistles uh, that help to fill out all of the picture in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know about you, but some people have in the back of their Bible, they have maps of Paul's missionary journeys. You might have seen some of those. Maybe you've got one in the back of your Bible. I quite often have referred to those, but I've got to admit, if you don't take the time to actually study it out, it can be quite confusing. I went looking this week to try to find a helpful one, and I've got to admit, almost all of them look something like this. We've had... uh, Lines going everywhere. And you look at that and you just go, my goodness, how do we, where did he go? What did he do? This doesn't mean anything to me. And so what I want to do today is I want to try to give us an overview, his missionary journeys, and then how they work together to get us to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is actually written at the end of his third missionary journey. And I want to kind of tie that together with his previous missionary journey so that you can see how those, uh, our our time in the Thessalonians and our time in Galatians, how those play into the book of Romans. And so I've taken a couple of screenshots from Google Earth and and just kind of clear up all of those lines. And this is a greater picture of the earth. If you aren't familiar with it being round, hold that story for a different day. Uh, But then we can zoom in to uh, where we see Europe and Asia, Africa, and then we can zoom in even further and we get down into the Mediterranean area. And the Mediterranean area is where the story of the Bible came from. And so you've got Israel going down into Egypt in the Old Testament, coming back, fighting against the Canaanites. The kings were there. The people from Babylon came and got them, took them away. They come back again to Israel. And then Christ is born in Bethlehem, just outside of uh, Jerusalem. And then the gospel goes out from Acts chapter 2. The gospel is carried by Paul and Barnabas, then Paul and Silas through his missionary journeys. And the first missionary journey that they did, Barnabas and Paul, uh, the two of them set off. They went into Galatia. And we have spoken about, walked through the Galatian, uh, the epistle to the Galatians. And you can see here we've got Jerusalem is the, where the home church was. We might say that where the church started, but then you've got Antioch is where the sending church was. Now, it's important for us to remember this. Jerusalem is not the missionary sending church. And there's a reason for that because it was a great persecution by Acts chapter 8. There's a great persecution And many believers, most of the Christians, scattered out from Jerusalem. The apostles were the only ones that were left there. 
a large group of people settled into Antioch, started a church there. Paul came in, strengthened the church, and then that church sent out, this is Acts 13, verses 2 and following, sent out Paul and Barnabas, and away they went. On that first missionary journey, they went up into the Galatian region. That's up in here. So we've got a good, at least four cities there that they started churches in. Very possible there was more than that. To get there, they went through Cyprus, came up to Galatia. They have Gentiles in Galatia receiving Christ, putting their trust in Christ. They come back to Antioch, go down to Jerusalem, and that was, if you remember, he withstood them to the face. And we've got to get this thing straightened out. The Gentiles can trust Christ. Paul stands very strongly on that. They go for their second missionary journey, and the second missionary journey, instead of coming across Cyprus, they went across the top, visited those Galatian churches again, and made their way all the way up into Macedonia. It's northern Greece. That would be the church at Thessalonica, was one of them. There's a number of churches that were started up in Macedonia. The church at Thessalonica, you and I remember from our time there, most likely he only spent three weeks with them. Man, God did an amazing work and grew a church that got two epistles from three weeks with Paul. From there, he comes down to Achaia, preached at Athens, and then started the church at Corinth. And while he's there, that church really began to blossom. He was in Corinth for about 18 months, and then he concluded his missionary journey. On his way back... He stopped in a little town called Ephesus. And that little town, Ephesus, caught his attention and he said, this place is important, I've got to come back here. He gave in all of the details at the sending church at Antioch, and on his third missionary journey, off he goes to Ephesus. He goes straight to Ephesus, and when he gets there, the Lord does an amazing work. He spends two years in Ephesus, and that is the time during which Colossae, Laodicea are born. There is a great and effectual door. He writes about, calls it a great and effectual door. The gospel is just blossoming, and the church at Ephesus is growing. It's an amazing time period there. In fact, you're there, Acts chapter 19. Look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 21. Uh, We're going to see him talk about making his trip back to Jerusalem here. Just before, just a few verses before verse 21, it talks about how great the success was in Ephesus. This is how big a deal it was. The Gentiles in Ephesus were turning away from their old ways. So I would say the things that they brought in, the scripture says that they brought in all of these old trinkets. For you and I, we might say, Tumbuna Helevim something. They brought those things in and they burned them. And the value of it was 50,000 pieces of silver. We're not talking about Jews that are giving up old ways. We're talking about Gentiles that are saying, we had these old ways and we're not holding on to the old ways anymore. We're with Jesus. We're 100% in with Jesus, out with the old. And they brought it together, 50,000, and they did not sell it. Notice they didn't sell it. They just brought it burned it, done with it. We're not going to allow this to continue on in my life, in my family's life, or in the lives of others. We're done with this. And they got rid of it. By the way, that caused an uproar in the city of Ephesus, so much so that Paul ends up getting kicked out of Ephesus. From Ephesus, he's headed back to Jerusalem, but I want you to see how it plays out. Look at Acts 19, verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So you've got to see how this works. So here he is in Ephesus, and he says, I'm going to go through Macedonia and Achaia and then go to Jerusalem. So from Ephesus, he's going to make a trip back up to Macedonia, down through Achaia, come to Jerusalem, and then go to Rome. Now that's his plan. Now, guys, I don't know if you looked at that and thought, my goodness, that's kind of circuitous, right? He's going, Ephesus, Macedonia, Achaia, Jerusalem, Rome. Like, that doesn't make a straight line sense at all. There's something going on in his mind. Now, here's what I'm seeing. He has a heart for those Macedonian and and Achaian believers. And by the way, he does make the trip there. This is Acts saying what's to come. He does make the trip there, and by the time we get to the book of Romans, when he writes the book of Romans, we find out that he's in Corinth when he writes. He writes to the Romans from Corinth. 
And he even makes the same statement. We'll see it in just a second. He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem first and then go to Rome. So let me show that to you. Come over to the book of Romans. You've got Romans chapter 1. You'll still hold on to Acts 18 and 19. We'll be back there in just a moment. Paul has never been to Rome. You can see that in Romans chapter 1, verse uh, verse 15. Verse 15, he says, so much, As much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I want to go to you at Rome. Come to the end of the book, Romans chapter 15, and you'll see him make another statement there. This is Romans 15, verses 30 to verse 32. He's going to talk about going down to Jerusalem. Here's Romans 15, verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed." So here's what he says, I've got something I need to take to Jerusalem, and then after I take it to Jerusalem, I'm coming to see you in Rome. I don't know if you remember what he had to take to Jerusalem. There was an offering that he had taken up through all of the churches. He had gone to all of these churches because in Jerusalem there had been a great famine. And the believers that were left in Jerusalem were in abject poverty. And so Paul has gone from church to church to church and he's gathered love offerings. Can you imagine how much money he must be carrying? In fact, the book of Acts says that by the time he heads back to Jerusalem, he has extra people going with him. They must have been looking after that money on on a big purpose. And here they come. They're going to go to Jerusalem drop it off, and then he says, after Jerusalem, I'm headed to Rome. He's got a purpose there. But notice his prayer in Romans 15. Look at verse 31. You'll see he gives two things. He says, please pray for me, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. It's dangerous for me to go to Jerusalem. And if you know your story, the book of Acts, you'll know that he gets arrested when he gets to Jerusalem. His plan is to go to Rome. He's going to get there, but not the way he had planned. God had a bigger plan for him, by the way. And here he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to drop off this love offering and pray for me. One, because there are people that are unbelievers in Judea, and they want me dead. And I know it. But I'm going to take this love offering because I've been taking it up. Far be it from me to use it for anything else. I know it's dangerous, but we're going to take this money and we're going to give it to those believers. Then notice the second part of the prayer. That, the end of verse 31, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. In other words, pray that those Judean unbelievers won't kill me. And then pray also that the Jerusalem believers will actually take the money. I wonder if the Jerusalem believers even knew there was money coming. Like, Paul's been going for years collecting this love offering, and they might not even know that it's coming. Do you know what kind of interaction they had with Paul? Well, some ten years before, he had killed their friends. Dragged some of them out of their church houses, house churches, and dragged them into prison. And so they're thinking that Saul guy, he might be up to something. And he says, please, just pray that when I come with that love offering, that they'll accept it. And so he's, he's writing to the church at Rome. He's telling them, I'm coming to see you, but I've got a few things I need to get done before I come to see you. So he has this love offering he wants to take. Now, come back to Acts chapter 18 again, and I want to show you the beginning of the church at Rome. So the church at Rome has an interesting history, how it got started. The church at Rome, uh, some denominations would tell us that Peter went there and started the church and became the first pope. There is nothing in the scriptures that says anything about that. In fact, there's further teaching that maybe it was Paul that went to to Rome and started the church. Uh, Biblical evidence is that the church started, Paul had never been there, there is no preacher that ever went, 
In fact, the people of Rome started the church on their own. Now that's phenomenal. In Acts chapter 2, I don't know if you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost, and Peter stood up to preach, and there were people there from all different nations that were there listening. Acts chapter 2 and verse 10 lists who they were, and one of the ones in the list was the strangers from Rome. And so here are Roman people that are there on the day of Pentecost as Peter stands and preaches. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And then as the Pentecost feast is finished, these Roman strangers are going to do what's normal. They go home. And when they went back to Rome, you know what they did? They started a church. And out of that, faithful people being faithful to the Word of God, they, all they had was... Old Testament said that the Messiah was coming, and He came. They never had the four Gospels. They never had Paul's writings. They don't know these things. There are a few people that are in the church that you see their names in Romans 15 and 16. There's a few people that have met Paul, but by and large, these are not preachers. These are not big-name people. Rome is not a baby church from a different mother church. It's just some faithful people that were Christians that said the Word of God says for us to meet together, so we're going to meet together. Now, if I can take that for just a moment, make that practical in our lives, guys. Oh, how often do I hear things like, we went to the village, and when we got to the village, there was no church, so we just didn't meet. That's a bit of laziness, guys. That's quite lazy. Instead, if there's a church, guys, if there's a church there, go and attend. If it's a Bible-preaching church, go and attend. Be a part. But if there's not a Bible-preaching church and you move to the village, don't sit back and get fat, dumb, and happy by being lazy. Instead, engage and let God use your house to be the one that starts a new church in your village. You have no idea what might end up coming to pass. Do you realize that the greatest epistle the Apostle Paul ever wrote was written to a group of people that did not come out of a handover-takeover ceremony, did not come out of an apostolic succession. It was just some people that were faithful with the Word of God and said, we're going to have a church here. And they started the church, and many years later, Paul says, y'all are doing a pretty awesome job. I'd love to come and see you. Be faithful with what God puts in your hand. So why would Paul go to Rome? He's been coming back to Jerusalem. He's been coming back to Antioch. He has visited Galatia how many times? He keeps going through these towns and he keeps coming back. So why would he come back or why would he go to Rome? I brought you over to Acts 18. Can I just get you to hold your hand there for one second? Look back to Romans 15 real quick. I'll show you why he would go to Rome, and then we'll come to Acts 18. Sorry about that. Romans chapter 15, verse 23. Paul's writing here to the Roman church, and he's going to mention, make mention of why he wants to come and see them. And i got to give you an insight here. It's not because of Rome. He has a bigger picture on his mind. Look at it in Romans 15. Verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts. Remember, he's writing from Corinth. He's been in Galatia, northern Greece, southern Greece. He's been all through this area. And he says, now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So here's what he just said. He said, guys, I want to come and see you, and I've wanted to come and see you for a very long time, but there's a reason I didn't race to get there. It's because you already have the gospel. You've already got a church that's growing there, so I've not been in a rush to get there. This place, they didn't have the gospel. This place, they didn't have the gospel. That's why I'm going there. And when I come, I'm going to be coming, but I'm not coming just to see you. Look at the words that he used in verse number 24. Whensoever I take my journey to Spain. If you know where Spain is on a map, it's like way over backside of this one. It's back there somewhere. Spain's way over there. He says, when I go to Spain, I'm going to stop and see you guys, and I'm hoping that you'll be a part of me going to Spain. Now, that's a beautiful thing. Now, I see a number of things playing in here. 
First off, do you realize that when he leaves from Antioch and goes to Galatia, he has to come back to Antioch? This is like his home base. And then when he leaves to go further, he has to go out here to Macedonia, and he comes back, and it's like further, further away from the home base. And now he wants to go out to Rome. It's going to be even further from the home base. I have a feeling he's changing home bases here. He's getting ready to move out of Antioch, move to Rome, and he's going to be, all right, from Rome, we're going to Spain because I'm hoping that you'll be a part of this. I want you to go with me to Spain. We've got a work that needs to get done. It's increasingly dangerous for me to be down here in Judea. I've got a perfectly good spot, and perhaps this is his way of introducing himself to the church. They've never met him. They don't know him. He's not been there. He sends them a letter. Let me tell you about the gospel, is what he says. Let me tell you about the gospel and how it will transform your life. And by the way, shortly after you get this letter, I'm on my way to come and see you guys. And when I come, we're headed to Spain. Let's take the gospel even further. That's his heart's desire. One last thing, and this brings us back over to Acts 18. One last thing that I want to point out before we jump into Romans. Very interesting detail that is very different from Paul's other epistles. Here it is. I'm going to just give it a head, head title, and then I'll defend it. The church at Rome is Gentile. That's a big deal. You and I are Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles, good. If somebody's got you convinced you're a Jew, you need to look back in the Bible. We're Gentiles. So that means that our mentality more closely matches the Roman mentality than it would the Galatian mentality. Do you remember the Galatians? Gentile believers that were heavily influenced by Jews that told them you need to live like a Jew. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 18, verse number 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth. On the map, he's here at Athens. He comes down to Corinth. So now he's at Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, he's getting ready to start a church, and here's what happens. Verse 2, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and he came unto them. So here we've got Aquila and Priscilla have just recently left from Rome because the emperor Claudius kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. That did not have a lot to do with Christianity. It had a lot to do with the way the Jews were. And so Claudius the emperor says, get rid of the Jews out of Rome. One of those Jewish people is Aquila. Aquila and his wife Priscilla recently moved from Rome down to Corinth, and Paul comes through Corinth and meets them there. Together, they start the church at Corinth, then, together, they travel to Ephesus, and while they're at Ephesus, Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla behind. He goes to do the reporting thing, and then comes back to Ephesus. In the meantime, Aquila and Priscilla have started the church at Ephesus. Paul sticks it in there with them. He's with them together. They're going to work together for the next two years. The great and effectual door is, is just blossoming. The church is just growing, and together they're working here. Now when Paul writes the book of Romans, he is on his way through Macedonia back to Corinth, and he's going to do the Jerusalem-Rome thing. When he writes in Romans chapter 16, I want you to see what he has to say. Look at Romans chapter 16, keeping in mind that Aquila and Priscilla met him in Corinth. Now he's done some journeys, and he's back to Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla have left from Corinth, went to Ephesus, and now you're getting ready to see they left from Ephesus and went somewhere else. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 3, he's writing to the church at Rome, and here's what he says. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Let's take those pieces and put them together. Where are Aquila and Priscilla now? They're not in Corinth, they're not in Ephesus, they're in Rome. Remember, they had to leave Rome because they were Jews. Now they're back in Rome. We can line that up with history. A.D. 49 is when Claudius the emperor made the, the uh, edict that said all the Jews have to leave. It was in place for five years until his death. So 49 until 54, no Jews were allowed to be in Rome. 
Now here he is writing the book to the Romans in AD 57. It's been eight years now that there's not been Jews in Rome. And now eight years later he's writing to them and you see Jewish people coming back. How come that's a big deal? Well, we have in Rome possibly the first and only at that time all-Gentile church. All of the other ones were Jews interspersed with Gentiles. Why is that a big deal? Because whenever a church started, it always brought in that Old Testament flavor. You always had people going, well, we're supposed to follow the law. And Paul goes, wait a second, look at this. Here we have a completely Gentile church. You see, the Jews aren't even allowed to be there. The government has kicked all of the Jews out of Rome, and for at least five years, the church in Rome was completely made up of Gentiles. And so then, as the Aquila and Priscilla's of the world began to filter back into Rome, they're coming in, and they've got a new question on their mind. Here's their question. Who am I? My identity has changed. I'm no longer primarily a Jew. I'm primarily a Christian. This is very important because as a Jew comes back to Rome, everybody hates the Jews. So for a Jewish Christian to hang out with Jewish people, he's putting his life in danger. So instead, he separates himself from the Jewish community and he assimilates himself into the Gentile Christian community. So that when we come through the book of Romans, we don't see things like, what about those Old Testament sacrifices are we supposed to do then? What about circumcision? What about keeping of the Sabbath? We don't see those arguments in the book of Romans because he's writing to a Gentile audience. Now, there is one thing that he brings in heavily in the book of Romans, and that is this. What about the Jews? Is God done with them? Because God has made promises to the Jewish people, and those promises will be fulfilled. And so his question in the book of Romans is, is God done with the Jewish people? And the answer is obviously not, because God always keeps his promises. All of that is background for us as we come into Romans chapter 1. And I'll spend the rest of our time together in Romans chapter 1. I'll be covering this morning just verses 1 through verse 7. So Romans chapter 1, verses 1 down to verse 7. We'll dive into these. That was all historical background. And I know that there was a lot there. We could have spent weeks in all of that. We'll spend the rest of our time this morning in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and, to be, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we'll pick up verse 8 and go on. If we were to take these seven verses and boil them down to one main thought, that one main thought starts in verse 1 and ends in verse 7. So let me show it to you. The beginning, verse 1, Paul, and then verse 7, to all that be in Rome. That's the main thought. I'm Paul, you people are in Rome I'm writing a letter to you. That's kind of the main thought. He introduces himself and he says, I'm sending this letter, but then let's park it and look at the different phrases as we come through the passage. So Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, he calls himself a bondservant. He does not answer to the church. He does not answer to individuals in the church. He answers to Christ. He is Christ's servant. And then he says he's called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. You might remember Paul's story on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. God had a different plan for him. He's riding the donkey. God knocks him off the donkey, hits him with the bright light and loud voice, and then God calls him to take the gospel before kings and to the Gentiles. He makes that very clear to the Apostle Paul. But then I like the words that he uses here. He's separated unto the gospel of God. 
Paul makes reference to this also in Galatians 1. Let me share this verse because this kind of seems to me a bit different. Here's Galatians 1 verse 15. He said this, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen. So here's what he said in Galatians 1. He said, God separated me from my mother's womb. Pause. Wait. For probably 35 to 40 years of his life, he did not fulfill his life purpose. So God separated him, called him from his mother's womb. And yet, for 35 years of his life, he went after being a zealous, Christian-hating, Christ-hating Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he pushed back hard against Christianity. And yet God had a purpose for him, and it took God knocking, off, knocking him off of his donkey on his way to the Damascus Road for God to get a hold of him. That tells me that God has planned to do more through you something that is bigger than what you have planned for yourself. Another way that I could say it is like this, he will do much more through you than you'll ever do by yourself. You see, Paul had his plan. Studying under the feet of Gamaliel wants to be a chief priest or a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That's his plan. And yet God had a bigger plan, and God's bigger plan way surpassed what he ever thought. And it took Paul having an experience that completely changed his mind. On one hand, he loved God, and on the other hand, he hated Christ. And it took God getting a hold of him and telling him, you cannot do both of those. You love God and you love Jesus. And that changed the rest of his life as he went on. Then he goes on to talk about his new identity. He's no longer a Pharisee. He's no longer a namesake of King Saul. He is now the servant of the Most High God. He's separated under the Gospel. Then he defines the Gospel or he talks about the Gospel, verses 2 to 4. Look at verse 2. So I'm separated under the gospel of God, which, verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the gospel was promised by the Old Testament. It was promised. God said it was coming. The Messiah is coming, and it did. Verse 3 and 4, concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. So there's two sides here. Verse 3 is his, Jesus' physical side. Verse 4 is his exalted side. So verse 3, he was made of the seed of David. He was made to the likeness of a man. And in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself all the way to the point of death. And yet, on the other side, we have, he is exalted by God. You see the alternate, verse 3, made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power. So these are opposites of each other. So Jesus came, was made low, and then God exalted him. And when he exalted him, he did it even through by the resurrection from the dead. You don't get that. Man doesn't get that. Only Jesus gets that. And so the gospel was foretold in the Old Testament. It's shown out in the death of Christ and in his resurrection And then he continues on. The gospel goes out in verse number 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. By whom we have received grace. Let me walk through that phrase right quickly. This is the first time that we see the word grace in the book of Romans. And this is a very big word. I'm going to use a phrase here that perhaps you are familiar with. If you're not familiar with it, I ask you to learn it well. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. I'll say that again. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Or another way to say it, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let me... Break that down. Grace is God's favor upon us that we did not deserve. I never deserved Him doing this for me. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's Ephesians 2. And so it's by God's grace, His his love is shown upon me and I did not deserve it. His grace was put towards us and I received that through faith. 
For by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not, please don't think, well, my faith will get me through it. No, I'm trusting Jesus. So by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So it's Christ who is the one that did the work at the cross. I'm not putting my trust in my own faith. I'm putting my trust, my faith is going in Jesus. So that when I come to stand before God, I don't stand before God with my goodness. I stand before God with Christ's goodness. That's all. He was made sin for us. He knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So I'm putting my trust in Him. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not in my baptism. It's not in communion. It's not in doing good deeds. It's in Christ's work at the cross. That's the only thing that will ever save you. And so he says, by whom, you see it in verse 6, by whom... Uh, sorry, by verse 5, by whom we have received grace. That's from Christ. He has given us His grace. And, and by the way, without His grace, the faith doesn't matter. We need His grace. And it's by His grace that we can ever put our trust in Him. By whom we receive grace and apostleship. Next phrase, for obedience to the faith among all nations. I love the fact that the gospel was never regionalized, is not ethnocentric. God does not only give the gospel to one group of people. It goes across the globe. Every single person and every culture and every nation and every talk place is fully able to understand and receive the grace of God that comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that every single one of us is saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so this gospel is given to all nations. I love the fact that he goes missions with this in verse 5. Right out the gate. He hasn't even finished his first sentence and he's already gone to missions with this. And then, the last three words in verse 5 can easily get overlooked. For His name. There's depth in those words. And if you're not easy, you'll just read over verses 1 to 7 and say, Paul's writing to the Romans, let's get on to the meat of the message. And he packed the gospel right into the middle of this. And in it, he said, God's going to send the gospel to all the nations for His name. In other words, He's going to do it for the sake of His own glory. Don't ever think that God sent Jesus to come and save you because you're so wonderful. Absolutely not. He did it for Himself. So that He Himself would receive the most glory. He looks the most magnificent when He saves us. So then, we don't get any glory out of it. He gets all the glory out of it. So He did it for His name. Now verse number 6. Among whom are ye also the called of Christ? Now on the surface, it seems like He just took those Roman believers and lumped them in with all the nations. Let me read it again, verse 5 into verse 6. Verse 5, For the obedience of the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you are the called of Jesus Christ. It seems like He just went, The gospel is going to all the nations, and by the way, Rome, you're one little spot in all the nations. But that's not what He's doing. There's something deeper going on here. And you can see it in the words that are used, Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. You are the called. That's really important, brothers and sisters, especially when you start quoting verses like Romans 8, 28. You remember that verse? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So if you're not one of the called, it doesn't work together for your good. So how do you know if you're one of the called? It has everything to do with what you've done with the gospel. By grace, did you put your faith in Christ alone? If so, you're one of the called. Notice he says, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. And see, Jesus has called you to be His child. So we come back into Romans chapter 1. We see the gospel, it was foretold. In the Old Testament Scriptures, it's all about Jesus. It's for the nations, and that includes us. 
And then Paul closes this passage. All of this has been one long sentence. And he closes it like this in verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Called to be saints. By the way, that's the third time that he's used the word called in seven verses. It is the most repeated word in all of those verses. And if you've spent time studying the word of God, when a word gets repeated, it's important. So Paul said he was called. Specifically, he said God called him before he was ever born. And then God called him again on the way to Damascus. And God separated him to the work of the gospel. God also called you and I, who are believers. And then, verse 7, he says that he didn't just call us into the fold. He called us to be saints. So don't think that you've got to wait until you die and somebody some generations later comes back and calls you a saint. You don't have to wait about that. He says if you put your trust in Christ, God calls you a saint. That's a pretty awesome thing to live up to, by the way. And here he says, the gospel will transform your life. Saint, you're a good person. And that only happens because the gospel transformed your life. Then he says... Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Notice these two words, grace and peace. Again, grace that comes only from God. Grace and peace. He uses those two words all throughout all of his epistles. Sends grace and peace to them. But notice the the meaning behind this. Grace to you. God has given grace and I pray that this grace will keep coming down on you. And I pray that you'll have peace too. Grace and peace. We have peace with God because of his grace. But then notice the word that he used. Grace and peace to you. Verse 7. From God our Father. Oh, he's a good father. He's our heavenly Father that does not just wait to punish us when we do wrong. Instead, he's a loving heavenly Father that looks after us, takes care of us. He is now your, and he's going to develop this as he comes through the book, he is your Abba Father. He doesn't belt up his children. He protects them, and he works all things together for good to them. And notice that he says grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let this sink in. If somebody did something really nice for you, and it cost them deeply, and there was no way for you to ever repay them. For the rest of your life, there would probably be just a little bit of awkwardness whenever you came around them. Somebody does you a great big favor and you can never repay them. Anytime you come around them, there's going to be a bit of awkwardness. And do you realize that there's no awkwardness between us and the Savior? As Jesus went to the cross and took all of our sin and God poured out his wrath upon our sin, poured it upon Jesus, and he took our sin. That's God's grace and he's given us his peace. And then we get to have a good standing with him. In fact, he goes as our advocate to the Father. It's not like a weird family reunion where we see him off in the side and we don't want to talk to him because we know how much he's paid for us. Instead, he's our loving brother that goes on our behalf to the Heavenly Father. This is grace and peace to us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessed thought. As we close today, I want to close with an encouragement. This book of Romans will transform your life. I pray that as we spend the next months or years together in the book of Romans, I pray that the Verses that are in it, the teaching that comes from it, I pray that they will strike your heart. Great theologians throughout history speak of how certain verses from the book of Romans shot through their heart. Augustine writes of it. John Wesley wrote of it. Martin Luther wrote of it. Each of them speaking individually. I'll give you two verses that have changed my life from the book of Romans. One is Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 has changed my life like a sniper bullet. As I was reading through the book of Romans one day, I read this verse, and here's what I read. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And for my salvation, that changed everything. You see, I already put my trust in Christ. I was a believer already. But then I realized... 
because of Jesus, I'm at peace with the Father. Now that's really important because I had in my mind this old way of thinking that God is sitting there just waiting for me to do something wrong and He's going to drop the boom on me. And then one day I realized as I read Romans 5 and verse 1, I have peace with the Father because of what Jesus did. I don't have to worry about the Father dropping the boom on me. He already dropped the boom on His Son. Jesus already took it. And now I'm at peace with the Father. And for my salvation, that was like a sniper bullet to my soul. Came right through and pierced me. And that has changed my life. The second one has everything to do with my sanctification. And this is Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. It says this, Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That verse changed my spiritual walk. And I'll tell you why. Because oh, so often a besetting sin will come up and creep up on us. And it'll seem like you can't, overcome a besetting sin. It's the way it seems. And yet, as I read through Romans chapter 6, I came into verse 11, and it changed the way I thought. And it said, Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto Christ. So all of a sudden, I'm given the freedom from the gospel. I'm given the freedom to say no to sin. It's as if that old besetting sin comes and knocks on the door of my heart, And when I answer the door, I tell him, I'm sorry, you came to see the old man? He's dead to sin. The new man, he's alive to Christ. So off you go, pal. Guys, i got to tell you, it will change your life. The gospel transforms our lives. And so I pray that in our coming months and years together in the book of Romans, perhaps it will be a single verse that will come through your soul, or perhaps it will be a passage or a time in a season. But I pray that God will use His Word to transform your life. For I know the Gospel will transform our lives. Father, thank You for Your grace upon us. Thank You for Your Word. Thank you for this book of Romans that has been preserved for us. Such an odd beginning of all of the churches. Such an odd beginning. And yet, you were behind the scenes working all things together for good. To those Romans who were the called according to your purpose. And now today, for us, within our setting very different backgrounds, all melted together into Capital City Baptist Church, I pray that you would do a great work among us as a result of the gospel transforming our lives. Help us to see who we are changed in Christ. First in your beautiful name, I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.